Today is Gaudete Sunday, the third Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of rejoicing. I have to ask you to bear with me, ask your forgiveness a little bit. I, I got back from Rome, so I'm jet-lagged, and I also caught a cold over there, so I'm pretty drugged up, and uh, kind of thought I was floating down the middle aisle today as I was walking in. But we rejoice for several reasons. We rejoice first because Deacon Randy turned 40 today. I meant the new 40, 61. (laughs) Happy birthday, Deacon. And we also rejoice because uh, Ben Warner, our seminarian from our parish, is home uh, back to serve and and to be present over the Christmas season. Welcome home, Ben. It's good to have you. Yeah. (laughs) And Father Waltz is here. Oh boy. Anyway, so today, the Sunday of rejoicing. So the church shows the masculine, most masculine colors she could think of, and we wear pink. Last night, I was in the sacristy with the deacon, and we actually, believe this or not, we have three pink vestments. We only wear this twice a year, and it's the most vestments we have back there. We have one that I personally own, we have the one from the old set, and then this new one. And I, we were kind of showing it to the servers, and I held one up, which is a lot more pink than this one. And, I, and the server last night, she looked at it, and she's like, now that, I would paint my color, the color of my room like that. And I was like, duly noted. As a man, duly noted. But the pink, the pink is symbolic, right? <clears throat> that the darkness is over. That we are moving into that point in which the sun is about to rise. So if you guys go out hunting early in the morning, you get up for farming early in the morning, you get up to go to work early in the morning, and right before the sun rises, you have that pink hue on the horizon to show us that Christ is about to come again as he comes every single day of our lives into our hearts to shatter the darkness One of the greatest dangers, you guys, in the spiritual life or in life in general is discouragement. This is why Paul, he says, rejoice always. I say it again, rejoice. Have no anxiety, no discouragement over anything. And part of me is sitting there and I'm like, Paul, come on, buddy. No anxiety, no discouragement about anything? I mean, why can he say that? How can he say that? It's because he believes. And when you believe, there is nothing that is impossible for God, and there is always hope. Really, discouragement is a word that does not belong in the Christian language. Because God is greater than all things. I remember when I was younger, I I wanted to snowboard. And the reason I wanted, I was a good skier, little guys, I was a good little skier, but I wanted to snowboard because, I don't know, like all the cool kids snowboarded, and I wanted to be like them. They wore the baggy pants and talked funny and had weird haircuts, and somehow that's, I wanted to do that. So I got a snowboard for Christmas, and I went out with some friends, they took me on a snowboarding trip, and about day three, I got to the bottom of the ski hill, and I took the board off, and I was so discouraged 
that I was like in tears because I could not figure it out. And I took the board off and I literally, it must have been quite the scene. I threw it. And as I threw it, I said, I never want to snowboard again. Screaming, crying, being a little baby about it. And out of nowhere, I like to call him the snowboarding guardian angel. This guy comes and he's like, bro, don't say that, man. I'm like, why are you talking so funny? Like that's, And he's like, seriously, you don't hate it, man. You just don't get it. And I'm like, okay. He's like, I tell you what, man, you be here tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. I'm going to teach you. And I'm like, Really? He's like, yeah, you just come. I'm like, all right, I'll be here, but that's it. If I don't learn, I'm done. He's like, trust me, man, you just be here. <clears throat> and I always wonder why they talk like that. And then I figured out it's because usually they're a little high, I think. But, <clears throat> but anyway, I showed up the next morning, and he was there. And he, he spent a whole like half day with me and taught me how to snowboard. And now like I love snowboarding. I'm a very good snowboarder, even at 40. And I can still rock out the snowboarding. But I remember when I got done with it, I remember he came up to me and he's like, now remember, bro, someday you're going to have to do this for somebody else. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) And I'm still waiting for that day to come when I see a young man take his snowboard and throw it, crying, saying I hate snowboarding. But I remember the discouragement that was in my heart. Discouragement is the worst Do you ever feel it? Of course you do. You're human. We're discouraged about our work, about our families, about our children, about our school, about our marriage, whatever. Discouragement is always there. I once read a fabulous line in a book. It said, the battle in your life is a battle for your joy. And the enemy's number one tactic to take away your joy is discouragement. God will always encourage. The enemy will always discourage. I'm sure you've seen the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, right? If you haven't seen that, it's probably on right now because it's the season. And in there, the beginning, right, God is talking, George, this good, virtuous man, and George is kind of in some hard times. And they say, we got to help him out. And Clarence, the angel, he shows up. And he says, what is it, God? What's wrong with him? Is he sick? And God says, no, it's much worse than that, Clarence. He's discouraged. He's discouraged. So long as we think that there is hope, we can keep going. So long as we can see that things might get better, things could possibly change, we can push forward. But the minute we give up, The minute we blow out the candle, it's over. We've lost. And that is the enemy's whole game plan, his whole end plan. And that's why this third Sunday of Advent is so important, because it's a reminder that there is nothing beyond, nothing beyond God. That's why we rejoice, because forgiveness has entered into the world. Mercy has entered into the world. Life, meaning, hope. But so many, so many won't accept it. So many are turning away from it. 
So many don't want to hear the words of John the Evangelist when he says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That pink candle that we light is a symbol for us that no matter how dark it gets, there is always light. No matter how bad it may seem, there is always hope. However, I feel that in our day and age, the culture has painted for us a picture that the world is the Garden of Eden. Do what you want. Have fun. Take it easy. Get your own. Live the life of comfort. And we like to think of it this way too. This world is meant to be a paradise of sorts. But humanity has referred to this world for thousands of years in its literature. Not as paradise, but as the Valley of Tears. They didn't do this because they were pessimists. They did this because they were realists. And they saw the world as a garden. It just wasn't the Garden of Eden. It was the Garden of Gethsemane. A place of struggle. A place of suffering. But God has entered into that garden... And has shined a bright light onto it. So that everything has meaning. No matter what you go through. And so with this reality in mind, we come as the, the, the apostles, the, the disciples of John the Baptist and say, what are we supposed to do? Everybody's asking that question. The world we live in right now, what are we supposed to do? And so if you turn to the cross instead, they turn to politics. Let government be our salvation. Not Protestant or Catholic, rather Democrat or Republican. That's the new question. Or worse yet, just a blind conformity to the age. Swept away with the mob. But you and I, you and I, we're supposed to be different. And so my question for you is, what are you personally doing right now in your life to promote the gospel and to stop the spreading of evil in our world? Or have we given up? Have we let the discouragement that is bombarded through the media waves break our hearts down? About a couple years ago, I saw a guy, a bumper sticker I got behind him, thought it was really funny. He said, where are we going and why am I in this handbasket? thought that was going to be funnier. <laughs> but I've met so many at this point who are so discouraged with the church, with the world, with their families, with their marriages. They've, they're losing hope. Advent is a time to restore hope. This third Sunday is a time to restore hope. That there is meaning. I want to quote for you one of my favorite lines ever from a movie. It's the Lord of the Rings. When Sam is speaking to Frodo, they've almost reached Mount Doom and they can't, he just froze like, I can't keep going. I can't do it. It's too much. They've suffered and struggled so much. And Sam looks at Frodo after all that they've been through and he says this. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. They were full of darkness and danger. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end ever be happy? 
How could the world go back to the way it was when so much evil had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass, and a new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folks in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, but they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. They believed that there was some good in this world and it was worth fighting for. Guys, there is great good in this world and it's worth fighting for. Fighting for it in your families, fighting for it in your schools, fighting for it at the workplace, fighting for it in the arena of the world. He thought it was worth it. He laid down his life for it. And it brought meaning to everything that ever happens in our lives. And so the question that we should be asking God right now in our prayer is, what can I do? How can I advance goodness? How can I right the wrongs of my past? How can I stop evil? Instead of asking, how can I be happy? What do I want? How do I get more? How can I be content? Or worse yet, just complaining about everything and doing nothing. Let me end with a famous quote by Theodore Roosevelt. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. For far too long we've been quiet and timid souls. Shut up in a cage while the world wreaked havoc on the hearts of our brothers and sisters and we can change this and we must. Because today, the church proclaims, Christ proclaims, the battle is won. Life is changed. But will you accept it? The church has not come to an end. Are we in a dark place? Sure. But it's not dying. And once you realize that one person who is bound to Christ can change the world, you will realize that this story right here that we're living right now, it's far from over. In fact, I would argue the greatest chapter is about to begin. <laughs>